Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. So today we're speaking to Brad Murphy of Murphy Tax Lawyers, um, a specialised Australian expat tax firm that are based out of Melbourne. And I suppose the reason today we thought it would be really good to have a chat with Brad is in recent years, and I suppose particularly during the recession of uh, the financial crisis in 2010, so many Irish people went to Australia. And when they went, they went usually with a backpack and a working holiday visa and with the intent to maybe stay for a year. Um, But then life happens and they found themselves in Australia with a family, uh, probably a property, maybe some investments and in some cases um, their own business. And I say that because I was one of those people and I know exactly how quickly time goes by and before you know it, you're in a position where maybe the Emerald Isle is calling and it's time to go home for a variety of reasons and usually because people have maybe started their own family and want to go back to be with grandparents and the broader family circle. Um, But what we see in practice is when people are coming back, they have questions about how the tax system works and they have a concern because they've they've really built up quite a bit of wealth while they've been in Australia. They've worked hard, they've saved hard and they, they're using it as a way to kind of get back into the system in Ireland, maybe build a house, they come back, buy a property. Every situation is different but the key is that tax applies <laughs> and today Brad is going to step us through all the Australian tax issues to be aware of when you're leaving Australia to come back to Ireland. So thank you so much for speaking to us today Brad, we really appreciate you joining us on the show. Yeah, Thank you so much Steph for having me on the show, it's a real pleasure. Um, yeah, and just quickly, just a, a bit about uh, myself and the firm. Um, as, as you mentioned, we're a specialised Australian expat firm. Um, so we just specialise in Australian international tax and Australian expats. Um, and yeah, we've um, been around since 2018 now. Um, we offer advisory services, but also tax return services too. Um, and look, I think you hit all those issues right on the head there, Steph. Um, um, look, I think the first point would be that it's really important before a move um, you know, back, to, back to Ireland um, is to get advice on both sides, not just the Australian side, but also the Irish side. And more importantly, just making sure you find a firm that provides an integrated service um, so you're covering off both sides of, of the pond. Um, now, first off, um, there is obviously a tax treaty between Australia and, and Ireland to alleviate double taxation. So... Um, you're normally not in a situation where you're subject to double taxation. But having said that, there are some um, mismatches between the two systems. So it's really important to get advice before you do leave Australia, um, which is really key. 
And actually, Brad, you know, it's funny when you say that because having done a few of these um, episodes now, it's just such a recurring theme that, you know, in every location, we're, we're kind of saying the same thing. Please get advice beforehand. Yeah. And it really pays for itself, doesn't it, when people mm-hmm. do it? It makes such a difference when they kind of proactive. Oh, it, it really does, Steph. So true. I think doing it not just the day before you go, but six months before you go is even better. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> obviously, it does yeah. take time if you need to liquidate assets. Um <laughs> you know, get your compliance in order. It does It does take some time. So I uh, would certainly recommend at least six months before you make the move to get in touch and start the process then. Because um, I'm sure it's the same on your side as well over in Ireland. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm jumping the gun here. But yeah, I think definitely, particularly in the Australian Irish case, six months, I would say, is the minimum because of the disconnect between the tax yeah. years in terms of like how they fall. Yeah. But um, I'm stealing your life. No, 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 no. That's a really, really <laughs> good point you make is obviously the, the different tax years is the first hurdle uh, from a compliance perspective. So there's obviously sort of two, two sides to it. One is the planning. The second is the compliance. And to make sure that the you know, tax returns on both the Australian side and the Irish side are all aligned and integrated. Um, we're talking about claiming a credit, making sure it's done in the right tax year, um, in the right income year is really important. And that, um, that's where working with somebody like myself and Steph can really add some value there as well to make sure it's integrated on both sides. Um, yeah, yeah and, I, and I would say, look, I mean, Australia is a very advanced tax country in terms of um, the, the ATO's focus on foreign income and residency is a real sort of key focus of the ATO in recent years. Um, so it's look, really important just to make sure that you do really do all you need to do from a compliance perspective before you leave Australia. And Brad, can I pick your brains a bit there? So I suppose, you know, uh, quite a few years ago now, I worked in Australian tax and many years since I focused on residency. What are, you know, from the Irish Revenue Commissioner's point of view, residency is relatively simple. You know, we have a day's test and we aggregate time and country over two years or one year. And, you know, it's relatively vanilla. It's not as simple in Australia, is it? Like, How do you determine if somebody's a resident of Australia from a tax purposes? Fantastic. That's a great question. Um, so you're right. Australia, um, it's got, it does have a day test, um, but it also has two more behavioural type tests. So basically, if you're in Australia for more than six months of the income year, you're, you're deemed to be a resident. It's a bright line automatic test. But also there's a more um, behavioural um, subjective test, um, which basically means that to seize residency of Australia, you need to leave Australia for at least two years. So if you're going back to Ireland, that would mean that you know, um, renting out your Australian property or selling it before you go, but also having the intention to spend at least two years back in Ireland. Yeah, so, so, going, so if you're an Australian you know, citizen, an Australian permanent resident, going to Ireland and sort of floating around for six months, you know, spending some time in Ireland, then the UK, and then back to Australia, would likely mean that you remain an Australian tax resident. So um, you need to really establish Ireland as your permanent home, again, to break Australian residency. Um, but that's normally you know, quite clear once you've have moved back to Ireland on a permanent basis, you would normally cease to be a resident on the date you leave Australia. And that's another key point too, Steph, a bit of a misconception is that you're going to be a part-year resident of Australia. It looks at the day you leave Australia. So you won't be a four-year resident for the whole Australian income year, but normally it's a date when you leave Australia. Okay. Um, The other really important point to note um, is that there's been a, a new test proposed in Australia in terms of our residency rules where spending 45 days a year in Australia would make you to be a resident. They're not actually, it's wow. not law yet, um, but it has been proposed. I think that'll probably come into play from next year. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously not long, you know, 45 days lingering in Australia. It's, that's, that's just an extended holiday really, it isn't, is, it? isn't it? You know, it's, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're back for Christmas, <laughs> seeing some time. friends or relatives, and, you, and you're <laughs> yeah. done. Oh, hang on a second. I'm a resident protector. <laughs> Absolutely. <of> this. <laughs> so, look, there has been a bit of pushback just given that short time period. So, I suspect we might land at 60 days um, back in Australia, but it is coming. Um, so, yeah, very, really important for um, people that do sort of spend time back in Australia to be aware of that. I think so. And I think definitely as well from the point of view of when we have conversations with people, um, you know, everyone's situation is different, but that is very useful what you've said there. So, you know, from the point of view of taxes, you know, what's the so what versus, an, you know, a resident versus non-resident, what does it mean on a practical level for somebody who's kind of planning their move? Yeah, good question. And look, very similar to Ireland in that, you know, once you're a resident of Australia, like Ireland, you are subject to tax on your worldwide income. So not just your Australian income, but also your foreign income. Um, you know, um, so that's sort of the first point to note is that, you know, once you're inside the Australian tax net as a resident, you are liable to taxation on not just your Australian income, but also your Irish income as well which is important. So that would include if you had you know, property income in Ireland or, or shares in Ireland from you know, public shares or private shares from ESS type arrangements that are inside the Australian tax net. And the Australian tax rate is high and it's up to 47%, which is probably the highest in the developed world. Um, so um, just something to be, to be mindful of. But basically, once you do cease residency of Australia, you no longer pay tax on your Australian employment income. So... That's quite clear, you know, on that day you do make that permanent move back to Ireland, you're, you're not paying tax on your Australian employment income um, from that point. And that also applies if you're employed by an Australian company, which is becoming obviously a lot more common in these uh, post-COVID times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we see this all oh, the time. Yeah, but it, look, that's the law, but in, in practice, it's messy because uh, you've obviously got an Australian company in that scenario that's still withholding pay-as-you-go, withholding tax on your employment income. So, and obviously declaring that income in, in Ireland um, as well, if you're living in Ireland. So to alleviate that double tax, it's really important that you have that conversation with your employer before you go to try and get them to, to cease withholding or get a ruling from the ATO to get it back. Is that a difficult process, Brad, you know, they're going through that? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. And um, most Australian employers um, will be reluctant to, to stop withholding um, if you do decide to work remotely over in Ireland. Um, and they basically say, look, it's on you to work it out for yourself to set your own personal tax arrangements. And it can be quite a difficult process. You basically need to explain to the ATO that you've definitely ceased residency and therefore lodge a formal written objection to get the money back in Australia. Um, and yeah, it, it, it can be painful. It can be painful. And look, I mean, you have the option of claiming a credit back in Australia for the Irish taxes paid as well. But that in itself also mm-hmm. creates issues in terms of there can be top-up tax in Australia if the tax rate is higher in Australia and the timing as well. I would say, as you'd be aware, Stephanie, to lodge your Australian, re- I mean, sorry, your Irish return before you can claim the credit back in Australia. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, messy. Well, it, it it's can really be messy. messy. And as you said at the start, it's really important just to plan for that before it happens rather than um, being double taxed, which is obviously not. Not ideal. No, it's not. And, you know, I think we said at the start there before we started to record that we'll probably do a whole session on the remote working thing because what we've seen in practice is, you know, kind of coming back to the example I used at the start where someone's gone to Australia, 
they've worked the majority of their career there. They're, they're at a fairly high level in the organisation and they've built up goodwill, they're, they're known in their networks and the employers are saying, okay, well, you go back to Ireland and you just work remotely. Now, obviously, the time difference and things like that can pre- present challenges. But in the majority of cases, people are saying, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. And then it's a secondary conversation with the employer then where it's like, okay, well, how are we going to handle the taxes? Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you. It's 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 possible to navigate, but it just needs a little bit of planning and every situation tends to be different in its own way. Absolutely. That's no, so true. And, and we were chatting before about a situation you found where um, if you've got, you know, say, a you know, US or Australian employee that's got stock options in America, if they come back to Ireland and obviously they invest while they're in Ireland, I'm assuming they're fully taxable in, in Ireland. Um, and it just gets, is that right? It just sort of gets messy in terms of working out. Uh, so it depends. So if it's a restricted stock unit, yeah. it's fully taxable in Ireland. So it's really yeah. messy. If it's a mm-hmm. stock option, it's taxable in Ireland with reference to the Irish employment duties. So it's pro prorated essentially. Um, so the stock options are slightly more sim- are simpler than the restricted stock units, but the RSUs we see being very common, I suppose, particularly with you from US tech companies, and I've seen them from Australian companies too. Um, it, it can, you know, and th- these are the things that tend to kind of they get missed in in the planning phase, and then they can kind of cause a headache down the line. So it sounds like you've got a similar situation, on you know, for somebody coming back here for the Australian piece. How does the ATO tax those types of products, or you know, kind of awards after an individual's left if the employment income is no longer taxable there? Yeah, so so good question. So Australia would would tax the Australian workday source component. So basically, if you um. You know, got ESS shares or employment shares from your time in Australia. Um, even after you've left Australia, there'll be a, a trailing responsibility to, to pay your taxes in Australia on the Australian workday portion from the date of grant to date of vesting on those um, shares or options. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing too. It does catch people out in that they sort of think they've left Australia, you know, they're outside the Australian tax net. Just be aware there will be a sort of ongoing obligation to report the income if you've got ongoing vests that happen while you're in, um, in Ireland or left Australia. So, um yeah, it's always a tricky one, that one. And you know one that I see coming up really um, often at the moment, and sorry to jump the gun potentially on this, but I'm very curious about this. There's so much in the media about selling an Australian property and changes to the rules around doing so as a resident versus a non-resident. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Because I'm thinking about the kind of yeah. people that are likely listening to the show. And, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, they're going to probably have employment income. They might have share awards. And then one of the assets that they probably yeah. all have is a property in Australia that they may or may not keep mm-hmm. after they come back to Ireland. Talk us through how that works. You know, if they sell that property before they leave versus yeah. if they sell it after they get on the plane. Yeah, look, this is a fantastic question. It's probably the, the biggest issue I think I would see um, with our clients leave Australia. Um, and the, the context being is that the Australian main residence exemption basically exempts your, your main home from tax if you're an Australian resident when you sell that property. And prior to 2019, it was a case that you could sell your Australian main residence um, as an expat and still get the exemption. But that law all changed back in, in 2019. It caused absolute chaos because <laughs> it basically happened overnight with no real notice, no grandfathering. So, so many expats were living overseas um, 
tried to sell their Australian main residence and were basically whacked with a 47% tax when they sold it. So, um, and this is the, probably the most important planning piece would be if you do have an Australian main residence and you want to live overseas um, or go back to Ireland, be aware that if you do sell it from Ireland, you will pay full tax with no no exemption. So, um, look, the, the point would be there would be if you if you want to sell it, do it before you leave Australia because you will get the exemption if you're an Australian tax resident when you sell the property for the the period. You also have the option too where you can rent it out for six years and retain the full exemption. So you could potentially you know, go back to Ireland or overseas for six years, rent out that property, come back to Australia and, and live in it again after that six-year period and retain the full exemption when you sell it. But the, the important bit is that you must be an Australian tax resident mm. when you sell that property. And, you know, the, the, and that's, it's great, isn't it, that they, you kind of have that out, but I suppose six years is a long time. I mean, you might not have to, you don't have to rent it for six years, but, you know, realistically, do you see many people going back to sell it, a trigger residency it's a great question and look I think um, you know some people do just given the fact that you know that the tax is so high and the impact is so high but in reality it's such a big lifestyle move if you obviously you know cut your ties to Australia you've gone back to Ireland as your home country to come back to Australia to sell a property is not really an option you know if you've got kids in school it just doesn't happen right so yeah it's it can be really um, and there's also withholding tax too I might point out so um, the, the, the actual the buyer needs to withhold 12.5% of the proceeds if you're a non-resident seller as well. So you need clearance from the ATO to, to get around that withholding tax. It's, so it's, it, In other words, it's exactly, you're going to pay tax at, at the start and then you need to kind of true it up, you know, with a tax return likely to kind of confirm that final amount. Exactly. And just to kind of overlay very quickly the, the Irish side there, you know, that is a really, really important point that you've made there. Um, now, obviously, in Ireland, we have a comparative relief for the sale of the, I call it the family home normally, because that's that's essentially what it needs to be. Um, and it does apply to properties that are outside Ireland. So in theory, if you were in the situation that you gave where you sold a property in Australia, um, you would have for any period of time that property was your main home, the portion of the gain is exempted. So in generally, we see no capital gains. But in the scenario that you gave there, in short, the Irish taxpayer is not going to care about the Irish tax if any is due. And the reason is because the the Australian rate is going to be higher. So, you know, people that I find, and I'm sure you get this as well, Brad, they kind of go, okay, well, I have an Australian tax bill. Do I have an Irish one too? And this is really where the, the treaty comes in. And, and the short answer is yes, you may, but you're going to get credit in Ireland for whatever tax you've had to settle in Australia. And the net impact of that in this example is going to be likely that you've got nothing to pay to the tax office here. So, you know, I think you've just, you know, if there was anything to kind of factor into a decision in terms of renting a property or selling it, it's going to be that tax rate in Australia, isn't it? Oh, exactly. And you hit now on the head there. The tax rate in Australia is obviously, you know, so high. Um, and as you said, obviously you get credit in Ireland for the Australian tax pay, but it's not going to help, is it, when the Australian tax is so high in, in that example? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, I guess that brings us to uh, perhaps an um, equally important topic is the Australian exit charge when you leave Australia, um, which is um, basically when you leave Australia, there's a deemed exit charge on the value of your capital gains assets at that time. It doesn't apply to Australian property, but it does apply to shares, to cryptocurrency, to Irish property, for example. So any, any basically any non-Australian property it applies to. 
And how that works is you either pay the tax at the time you leave Australia, based on the gain when you leave Australia, or you can defer it. Um, you def can defer it to when you actually sell the assets. Um, and what pe most people do would obviously just defer that tax. Um, and now the downside in doing that is you don't get that discount capital gain in Australia for the period you're a non-resident. So you might have some, for example, some shares in Australia <coughs> or some shares in a private company in Australia. You might leave Australia and say, you don't want to pay the exit tax at that time. You don't want to sell the shares to pay the tax when you leave Australia. Fast forward, you know, 10 years down the track and you've got to sell these shares or you, you sold your you know, shares in your private business in Australia. You're going to you know, pay your Australian taxes and you've got no discount capital gain for that period. Your tax could be up to 45% on that sale. <clears throat> as, comp as opposed to if you're an Australian resident, your tax is capped at 23.5%. And as you mentioned, you know, um, you get a full credit in Ireland for the Australian tax, but... Like this, I'm guessing. Um, what's the the top capital gains rate in Ireland? Thirty three percent at the moment. Yeah. So I mean, we've had this, Brad. Do you remember the case we had where it was exactly just running that calc, and that's essentially what it is. It comes down to like a, it's a calculation, and you know, you're you're trying to figure out whether or not you should pay tax now or in future, and you know, kind of you're modelling how that would look, um, and it, it's it's. These are the things that I think, you know, people don't necessarily realise until they have a conversation with somebody. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't figure that out. You're by yourself. <laughs> you just don't think about it. So, yeah, and like, you know, to be fair, like, you know, why would you unless you had a proper advice, right? Because they seem like um, quite trivial sort of issues. You know, oh, you got a few shares and perhaps, you know, some Apple shares when you left Australia and, you know, you fast forward 10 years and it's gone up 20 times. It, it does become an issue at that time. So, um, and it could be just um, sold by a simple exit charge, you know, payment. If, if when you leave Australia, if the gain was, you know, um, nil or, or minimal, you could pay that exit ta tax and then be outside the Australian tax net going forward forever. So, um, it's just really important, I think, just to get proper advice. And as you, you said really well, do those calculations just to work out what the impact would be when you leave Australia on that. Yeah. And then it, you make an so, informed um, decision yeah. then, um, you know, and I suppose from an Irish perspective, you know, kind of to think about it kind of holistically, you're left with a situation where you pay an exit charge in Australia on specific assets, you leave the Australian tax net, you come back to Ireland, and then basically, depending on your circumstances, everything from that point onwards is going to be taxed in Ireland. So kind of from a cash perspective, I try to yeah. explain it to people is that, you know, broadly, you're moving from one regime to the other. It's just a question of the timing and the mechanism as to how that happens. And, you know, as probably people who are listening yeah. can tell, that really depends on what you're talking about. In other words, there's no generic, yeah. you know, I, I, I've mentioned this in, in another episode with um, our UK um a uh, person we interviewed and it was basically we were saying you know the misconceptions that you hear around double tax agreements you know people say things like well I can only pay tax in one country or I already paid the tax so you know can or can yeah. the ATO just give the money to the revenue you know these little things which are very valid expectations yeah. but unfortunately completely wrong <laughs> in the majority of cases <laughs> yes. that'd be nice if it worked that way but unfortunately it doesn't and this is such a misconception I mean that's a you, you sum it up really well is that a double tax treaty alleviates double taxation. It doesn't really allocate taxing rights normally. I mean, it does in some instances for sure, but normally its purpose is to alleviate double taxation, which is very different to allocating exclusive taxing rights to one country. And interesting, we've had this before as well, particularly just coming back to your situation on the um, 
the capital gains. You know, the Irish-Australian Treaty is actually quite old, um, and I know we've kind of encountered this previously. So, yeah, it's it's not necessarily very helpful to have a conversation with perhaps your friend who came back from the US and compare apples with apples <laughs> because, as well as the, yeah, it's very, <laughs> it very different. Yeah, um, but yeah, it keeps us busy. Yeah, and just on that, I mean. Yeah, and a prime example might be Australian Super. And, um, you know, as, as most Australians would know, you pull it out after 60 in Australia, it's tax-free in Australia, which is great. But what would that mean, Steph, in, in Ireland, if you pulled out Australian Super over there as an Irish resident? So there's a, so the starting point at the moment is that it's taxable in Ireland under domestic law unless relieved by a specific section. Um and generally speaking, revenues position with foreign pensions, um, you know, US, Australian ones, is that if you draw them down, you're drawing income from something that you've accumulated over the lifetime of the contributions. So the reason why that's important is because income tax rates in Ireland are ridiculously high. So unfortunately, we can beat your 47% because we're up to 52%. And in some cases, 50, 55%. So yeah, it's not a competition you want to win, is it? But um, yeah, so really important to kind of understand how is that going to be taxed. There is a section in the tax acts, it's section 200 of the Irish legislation that says if you are accessing a pension that relates to a employment in other words it was accrued over the lifetime of an employment um that and it would not be taxed if it was accessed in the location where you accrued it i.e australia then it's not taxable in ireland so in practice section 200 is likely going to exempt the drawdown of super because of the fact that it's it, 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 to the extent it relates to employment which you know in the majority of cases it does um you know, in my mind, if you have somebody who's built up a self-managed super, you know, because they have over time, you know, and I'm not a super expert by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, it's not necessarily coming from an employment. Not entirely clear then as to what view the revenue commissioners would take with it, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, th- there's definitely a spectrum of questions that come on that front. And we generally see that the age profile of people coming from Australia to Ireland is such that they haven't necessarily thought about that issue just yet. In other words, they're quite a way off being able to access it and they probably have an Australian passport, so, which means they can't cash it in even if they wanted to. Um, if that's right, Brad, correct me if that's changed. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah, yeah and exactly. um, yeah. so in other words, it's, a, it's an issue for another day, but it is a very relevant one because, you know, it, it essentially means that it makes sense to build up your super while you're in Australia, and um, particularly if you're paying into it at a tax rate that you can stomach. You, you touched on a great point before, Steph, as um, self-managed yes. funds in Australia. So uh, a really important point there would just to be aware of, if you have a self-managed fund in Australia, if you do leave Australia, it can be non-compliant. Okay. And, and what that means is that, yeah, effectively, um, if you leave Australia permanently, um, you've got an Australian you know, self-managed fund, and then you decide to go back to Ireland permanently, then it can be non-complying at that point if you've got foreign foreign directors, um, which means it's basically there's a 47% tax charge at that time of the assets in the fund, which is obviously a disaster, unmitigated disaster, right? Um, but that, that can be avoided and there can be plans to be done to alleviate that. Um, a couple of strategies would be to have a power of attorney who's an Australian resident um, as trustee of that fund or do a rollover into a retail fund before you leave. But um, that's an area that does get missed a lot as well. Um, so really important, particularly 
for you know high net worth individuals that do have that self-managed fund to, to really get advice on that before they leave Australia. I was just going to have just one question, um, Steph, would be, obviously in Australia, we, we have a part-year residency rule. So if you come to Australia partway through the income year, you're only deemed to be a resident from the date you arrive in Australia. Is it the same in, in Ireland? Is there a split-year type um, treatment? So there is split-year treatment in Ireland, but it applies only to employment income. Um, so essentially, if you are coming back to Ireland and you're planning to be resident in the, in the next tax year, which most people are, you can apply to the revenue commissioners for split-year treatment. And essentially, that means that under domestic rules, your pre-arrival employment income is ignored. So in other words, we don't need to worry about your Australian employment income that you were paid before you got to Ireland. Um, there is other mechanisms by which we can apply a similar treatment to other gains in income, um, but it's relying more so on the treaty than on domestic provisions. So in short, yes, but it does depend on the specific fact pattern if we're looking at something other than employment income. It's not as clear cut as the Australian residency rules. So in other words, if you are a resident of Ireland, you are a resident for the full calendar year, which in theory means you could arrive the 30th of June and be considered resident from the start of that year. So it's, yeah, it's, and this is one that, you know, is, is important for people who I had, you know, had a call with somebody from Australia yesterday and, you know, they, they talk about FY, like FY 2023, and they mean, you know, July to June 2023, whereas <laughs> yeah. we have no concept of that here. So it's, it, it's easy to trip yep. up. Um, and, and I would summarise yeah. kind of the point you made earlier, Brad, saying you know if you are planning a move back to Ireland from Australia and you have employment income a main home you know maybe shares self-managed super you know all the things we've listed here and probably plenty more you probably need to be kind of reaching out to have a conversation with somebody six to nine months before you go back you know find somebody on one side of the water and see if they have a connection on the other side to kind of get the conversations happening because there sometimes can be like optimal times to make decisions from an investment perspective because you know the tax tail doesn't have to wag the dog and you know sometimes I say to people you know you're going to potentially do x y or z you know maybe sell an asset well now you have four or five months to kind of watch the market and decide when you're going to t do such, you know, take a specific action, safe in the knowledge that you've given yourself that bandwidth to kind of pick what is the right moment from a commercial or an investment perspective. Oh, that's so true, Steph, exactly. And, you know, you, you almost do need six months, I think, at least, because, you know, the example would be you're selling your Australian property. I mean, that obviously takes time to sell. It just doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. You don't want to rush these things. You don't obviously do a fire sale on the property. So you really want to allow yourself a good, you know, six to 12 months to really plan for that um, sale. Um, I think, and that's right. I think then you can obviously align your tax years nicely. Sometimes it's nice to leave um, on the end of Australian tax year or the start of the Irish tax year just to make it easier too from yeah, a compliance point of view. So, um, yeah, look, and there's all, and obviously if you need to do any sort of asset sales or transfer of assets before you go, you've got time to do so. 
It's a lot harder to do that if you need to do it in a couple of weeks. There's enough things to think of, isn't there? You know, when you're packing a container and trying to get kids into crash places and schools. I remember from experience. (laughs) But um, Brad, this has been so helpful. I mean, look, I think at the very minimum, we've just scratched the surface on some of the specifics and it really lends itself to more conversations, which hopefully you'll be happy to kind of come on and have a chat to us again. But thank you so much. I think there's so much to take away there from what you said and I think if there's people who are moving from Australia to Ireland firstly they should obviously make contact with you and um, secondly they would do well just to kind of have a listen to some of the key points here which are really you know take advice in good time you know don't make assumptions about your specifics and remember that it is a bit complicated but you know it's not impossible with the right help yeah my absolute pleasure Uh, Steph thanks for having me on the podcast it's been great um and yeah, as you, as you said, if you've got any questions, any, any clients have any questions, uh, just get in touch. Um, you offer a free free console and happy to, to have a chat to you. Awesome. Brilliant. We'll put yeah. your contact details in the show notes. Thanks so much, Brad. Have a good evening. Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.